Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So page 1061, reading is from Luke 24, the first 12 verses. The Resurrection. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The second reading is from Acts and can be found on page 1113. It's Acts 17 reading from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him 
and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our own being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all peoples everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with the justice by the, by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to all this, to all men, by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman called Demarius, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to you all. A happy Easter to you all. It's uh, brilliant uh, to see you on this uh, most wonderful of days. And two things you might like to do for the next few moments. Uh, One is to uh, have your Bibles open to the second of the two readings uh, that Sue just read for us, page 1113, Acts chapter 17. The other thing that I'd encourage you to do is just to dig out this handout. There are some words on the back of it that I particularly want to point to you. Uh, Just 10 days ago, I heard a song on the radio that I reckon points to Easter Sunday. It's called Tell Me There's a Heaven by Chris Rea. Now, the words, as they are on the handout, they'll also appear on the screen. I'd like you to listen in to this this song. Uh, Chris Rea's style and gravelly voice may not be your cup of tea. And it's not the greatest song he's ever written. I quite like his stuff, but this isn't the greatest one. I've really built it up, haven't I? But whether this is your thing or not, listen carefully to the words. Chris Rea, Tell Me There's a Heaven. Now the song goes on as you can see but I reckon those words tell a story that most of us connect with when we look at the distressing things in the world we want something to be done about it we find ourselves longing for a better place oh, oh there's so much good uh, in the world this is a wonderful world uh, the simple joys and pleasures of a beautiful spring morning in Fullwood Time and family and friends around the meal table. A great game of tennis or skiing down a mountain. There are times when it's just good to be alive. But there are also great and many sadnesses in this world. I think of members of this church family who are dying. Their loved ones watching on. Their hearts are breaking. And the sadnesses we hear about every time we turn on the television news. The pain of real lives wrecked in the war-torn areas of this world. And then there's something about the world that that has hit me several times recently as I've watched the news, and that's the the complexities of the issues of justice. We long for justice, but it's so complicated. I think of the Oscar Pistorius trial, the the South African Paralympian who shot dead his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp, through the bathroom door in their apartment in the middle of the night. He admits that he shot her. The question at his trial is whether he shot her knowing that it was her in the bathroom or whether he thought he was shooting at an intruder who'd come in at night. Now, I don't know what happened. And as I listen to snippets of the trial, at times I find myself thinking he might be guilty and then moments later thinking it was all a terrible mistake. I don't know what happened that night. 
But I do know that it would be terrible to convict a man wrongly and that it would be awful if a guilty man went free. And then there's the Hillsborough disaster. This week marked the 25th anniversary of that tragedy. And the families continue to call for justice for the 96 who, called that day, who died that day. Accusations of the events of that fateful day continue to fly in various directions. Who was to blame? Was anyone to blame? I don't know. And I wonder if we'll ever know. Oscar Pistorius Hillsborough, the missing Malaysian airline flight MH370, and now the South Korean ferry disaster. We just don't know what happened. Maybe we never will. And yet we want justice to be done. See, I look at these terrible things in the world and find myself crying out with Chris Rea, tell me there's a heaven. There are so many sadnesses in this world, so many things that just aren't right, so many wrongs that will never be put right that I find myself longing for something, for somewhere different. And that's why Easter Sunday and resurrection morning and the rising of Jesus Christ from the dead is such brilliant news. The real, actual, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most momentous moment in the history of the world. And that's why the first Christians proclaimed it over and over again. It's what we see in our Bible passage this morning in Acts chapter 17. Here in uh, Acts 17 verse 16 is the Apostle Paul in Athens, not on a weekend break, but on a missionary journey, debating, reasoning in the synagogue and in the public square, persuading people that Jesus rose from the dead. Not that those who were listening understood what he was going on about. Look again at verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with Paul. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection, some who heard him thought he was preaching about two gods. I have friends who've named their little girl Anastasia. It's a pretty name, isn't it? You might be interested to know that it was the most common name given to baby girls in Russia in 2008. And like all names, it means something. Anastasia is Greek for resurrection. And so in Athens, as the Apostle Paul preached the good news about Jesus and the resurrection, he preached Jesus and Anastasia. And they thought he was preaching about two gods, one named Jesus, the other Anastasia. But of course, he wasn't preaching about two gods at all, but about one, about the one true and living God, Jesus Christ, the one who came and lived among us and who died and who rose again from the dead, Jesus and the resurrection. Because you see, if you're going to understand Christianity and going to grasp what makes Jesus unique and going to see why Jesus is so relevant to everyone who ever lived, you've got to understand that Jesus rose from the dead. And so everywhere they went, the early Christians preached Jesus and the resurrection. And here's the thing for us this morning. When your heart cries with Chris Rea, tell me there's a heaven. Jesus and the resurrection is the way to be sure there is. Well, if you're following along on the handout, we've come to the first point, and the resurrection tells me there's a God. See, if there's going to be a heaven, then there has to be a God, and the resurrection tells me there is. The people in first century Athens certainly hoped there was a God, but they didn't know for sure. Look what Paul said to them in verse 22. 
Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. See, in first century Athens, people worshipped many different things. But they weren't confident about what they worshipped, and they hedged their bets with one altar dedicated to an unknown God. Now, in 21st century Sheffield, we may not have erected an altar, but most people I meet do have a hunch that there is a God up there somewhere. He is unknown to them, but they've got a picture in their minds of what he's like. God is not someone we Brits tend to talk very much about, but as the local vicar, I'm in the very privileged position to know that many people, and probably more than you realise, do think about the big questions of life and the existence of God and whether there is a heaven or not. When I conduct a funeral or when I'm involved in baptising someone's baby, I discover that people do want to know about God and what happens when we die. And I really don't meet many people out there who are atheists. I meet far more people who would describe themselves as agnostic. I don't really know what they believe. They like to think there's a God, but they, they don't know. Well, that's verse 23, isn't it? Those in Athens erected an altar to an unknown God. And look what the Apostle Paul says at the end of verse 23. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. I've been uh, chatting with a a fellow on and off uh, about the Christian faith for a while and, and I asked him, wouldn't it be good to know what God was like? And he said to me, well, yes, it would, but how can we possibly know? That kind of knowledge seems beyond us, sort of out there. And so doesn't this seem a bit arrogant of Paul? He's wandered into Athens and now he's standing in front of the most learned men in that great and cultured city. And he says, end of verse 23, the God that you don't know about, I do know about and I can tell you about him. Imagine me walking into the religious studies department at Sheffield University after the Easter break and speaking to the professors of philosophy and religion, those who've got more PhDs than I've got O-levels. And imagine me saying to them, I know you've studied Plato and Epicurus and read Nietzsche and Descartes. And some of you teach and lecture on the teaching of Aristotle and Sartre and John Locke. And I know you've spent your entire professional life grappling with the meaning of life and the existence of God. But now, the God you're uncertain about, I've come to tell you all about him. Can you imagine me doing that? Sounds terribly pompous, doesn't it? And if I was saying to these learned people, I've worked out what you cannot quite grasp, then it would be an outrageously arrogant thing to say. And it would reveal to you that I have a hugely exaggerated and massively inflated view of my own self-importance, wouldn't it? So be sure to know that that's not what Paul was doing here. And that's not what Christians are about either. We're not certain about the existence of God and the character of God because we've worked out what he's like and everyone else can't quite manage it. But because God has shown himself in history. He walked this planet, teaching things in a way that had never been taught before, acting in ways that had never been done before, doing things that were out of this world and so demonstrating that he was someone who was out of this world. And the thing that clinched it was that when this man was killed on a Roman cross, certified dead and then laid in a tomb, three days later he rose from the dead. Jesus and the resurrection. The real, actual, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead tells us that God does exist. 
And because of Jesus and the resurrection, we not only know God exists, but we also know what he's like. The God who you don't know, I can tell you about him, do you see? Now, if you're not sure about the existence of God and you've come here this morning because it's Easter Sunday morning and being in church seems to be the right place to be on this morning of all mornings, you're not anti-God, of course you're not, you're here. You'd perhaps prefer to describe yourself as agnostic. You're not sure. Well, if that's you, let me say thank you for coming this morning. You are very welcome. If that's you, may I suggest to you that looking into the person of Jesus Christ and especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the evidence for that is the best thing you can do to get to grips with your question about God and whether he's there and what he's like. First then, the resurrection tells me there's a God. Second, the resurrection tells me there's a heaven. We heard Chris Rea sing it, and I find people asking it all the time, tell me there's a heaven. Uh, the time I find it most is, is when I'm asked to, to take a funeral. A tearful widow will say of her dear husband, he wasn't religious vicar, but he's in a better place now, isn't he? Now, those are not the confident words of someone who's convinced that there is life beyond the grave, but usually they are the words of vague clutching at straws because she needs to believe that this isn't the end. Tell me there's a heaven, vicar. Well, look, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead tells me there is a heaven. There is life beyond the grave. And there's a way of going to heaven when I die. How I wish everyone would engage with this issue during their lifetime. I consider it a great responsibility and a huge privilege to, to be trusted with conducting someone's funeral. But I have to say, I also find it a great frustration that very often I'm only asked to be involved in a family's life once someone has died. I'll tell you why that's so frustrating. Because at that point, although I, help to be of some, I hope to be of some help to the, to the family, by then I can do nothing for the person who's died. Now look, life is busy and hectic. And the pressures of life are demanding and overwhelming. But I can't think of a more important issue to get to grips with. Uh, on this Easter Sunday morning, I wonder if you can resolve, I am going to get to grips with it after Easter. I'm going to find out if there is a heaven and how I can know, how I can be sure of being there. Well, Jesus and the resurrection is the way to get to grips with that big issue. The resurrection tells me there's a God. The resurrection tells me there's a heaven. Third, the resurrection tells me there is justice. Look with me over the page at Acts 17 and verse 31. Verse 31. God has set a day when he would judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Well, for many teenagers, the, the Easter holidays are, are wrecked and dominated by needing to revise for exams. And so at this time of the year, I'm often reminded of the boy who had a biology exam. Uh, he revised hard and went into the exam feeling pretty confident. As he sat down, he lined up his pens and pencils, got out his lucky gonk and put it on the uh, top corner of the desk. And the teacher said, OK, at class, this exam is very straightforward. You'll see around the room 25 different birds and you have to identify them. But they're all covered by a hessian sack, so all you can see of the birds are their legs. 
So you've got to identify the birds from their legs. In this exam, you have 30 minutes to identify 25 birds around the room by their legs. Now turn over your exam paper and begin. And the boy's heart sank. He'd revise hard, but he'd not revise birds' legs, frogs' legs. Oh, he could dissect a frog with his legs, uh, with his, with his legs closed, with his eyes closed. <laughs> but birds' legs he couldn't do. Well... He took a few deep breaths and then he started going around the room trying to identify the birds by looking at their legs. As the time went on, he got more and more confused and more and more frustrated. There was a bird with webbed feet and he wrote down duck. But then a couple of birds later, there was another one with webbed feet and he thought, oh, there's more than one duck. I'm supposed to know the type of duck. So he crossed out his previous answer. And exam paper after time became a mass of crossings out and blank spaces. He became so frustrated because he'd revised so hard and he wanted to do so well and none of his teachers had tipped him off that there was going to be one on bird's legs. And when he could stand it no longer, he screwed up his paper, marched up to the teacher at the front of the class, uh, threw the paper at the teacher and shouted, it's not fair, it's just not fair. And he stormed out of the room. And just as he got to the door of the room, the teacher said to him, wait a minute, boy, what's your name? And the boy turned around slowly rolled up his trouser legs and said, you tell me. (laughs) It's not fair. It's just not fair. How many times have we found ourselves saying that when bad things happen? And when we look at the injustices in the world, the Oscar Pistorius trial, Hillsborough, flight MH370, the South Korean ferry disaster, the ordinary lives wrecked in the war zones of this troubled planet, it's not fair. But here's the great news of Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 31, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed, Jesus Christ. And he's given proof of this to all men by rising Jesus from the dead. A resurrection, do you see, is proof that there is going to be a day of reckoning and a day when all wrongs will be put right. Isn't that a wonderful thought? The risen Jesus Christ sees everything and he knows everything. And so one day he will act as judge of the world. And so there'll be a day when justice will be done. Whatever happens in this life regarding the Oscar Pistorius trial, justice will be done. Hillsborough, justice will be done. Flight MH370, justice will be done. The war crimes of the world, justice will be done. That's great news. And it means that all the injustices that I have suffered will be put right as well. It's very good news. But it's also very sobering. Because it means that all the wrongs, all the wrongs will be addressed. And my life is far from perfect. And especially when it comes to my relating to God, which is the big issue here. I don't know the details of your life, but I do know that I haven't lived up to the way I should have lived. I haven't even lived up to my own standards, let alone God's. Far too often, God has been a footnote on the page of my life. And so the thought of facing justice in my life is not a good one for me. And that's why on this Easter Sunday morning, as we rejoice in the resurrection, fourth and finally, the resurrection tells me to go to the cross where I can be forgiven. See, it's Easter Sunday morning, and in a moment we'll be taking communion. Has that ever struck you as a little odd? 
Jesus is risen. And yet we remember his death. Uh, We celebrate his death. Well, here's the reason. Jesus' death on the cross was the way God dealt with my sin and yours. At the cross of Jesus Christ, God laid on Jesus the punishment that your sins and mine deserve. He took the can. Uh, A few years back, at this time of the year, I was asked to take an assembly in a primary school and explain what was good about Good Friday. And so I told the children that when I was at junior school, if anyone was really naughty... They had to stand under the clock outside the headmaster's office during playtime and lunchtime. And as you stood there under the clock outside the headmaster's office, everyone knew you'd been naughty and you felt deeply ashamed. And you missed out on playtime. And I said to the children, can you imagine that, standing there? And then can you imagine, as you started to stand there, someone came up to you and said, I've had a word with the headmaster. And he said that I can stand under the clock in your place, even though I haven't done anything wrong. I'll take the punishment that you deserve and you can go and play with your friends and it will be as if you'd never been naughty. I said to the children, wouldn't that be good? And all their little heads were nodding. They thought it was wonderful. That's what Jesus did for us as he died on the cross. Oh, it's an illustration for children, but it's no less true or less wonderful for that. That's why we not only remember the cross, but celebrate it at Easter. And of course, Jesus was taking the punishment for something much greater than being naughty at school and much greater than standing under a clock. He was dying the most cruel death, the death that we deserved, which shows us just how terrible how sin is. And it also shows us how much God loves us. Easter weekend, it's the most wonderful weekend of the year. Good Friday, Easter Sunday. It tells me that, yes, I am more sinful than I ever realised, but I am more loved than I ever dreamed. And when I really put my trust in Jesus and his resurrection, then I can know there is a God, and I can know there is a heaven, and I can know there is justice, and I can know God's forgiveness. And so be ready to meet my maker when I die and be sure of a welcome into his presence for all eternity. Do you see, it's all tied up with Jesus and the resurrection and that's why the first Christians preached it. Well, some of you will be saying, I really do need to take some time to look into these things and uh, now would be a good time. After Easter, I'm going to get on with it. Well, if that's you, let me encourage you to uh, have a little look on the 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 notice sheet that Ben mentioned earlier. You'll see we have a a course starting on Tuesday the 13th of May. All the details are on the sheet. You can fill in the form there, send it in or email us or tell somebody or even just turn up. We'll have a nice meal for you and there'll be a chance for you to look into these things. Is it true that Jesus lived and is it true that he rose from the dead? And if it is, how can I be connected to what he's done for me so that I can be sure that I'm forgiven and go to heaven. Well, do please think about coming along to that. And uh, for some of you, you'll be saying, I can't wait till then. Uh, Well, look, I've got some booklets like this. They're called The Real Easter. I'll be standing on the door at the end, and if you'd like one of these, just take one from me and have a read about this wonderful truth that we can be forgiven and sure of eternity when we die.